Hello, this is Gareth Jones on Speed, episode 384. Amongst the many things we'll be discussing in this episode today will be the Le Mans 24 Hours. And if you'd like to attend this year's race and camp at the same campsite we're using, you can, thanks to our sponsors, Team Langostine. If you'd like to know more, please go to garethjones.tv forward slash Le Mans or stick around. There'll be more info a little bit later in the show. The first F1 testing session of 2020 has drawn to a close and I'm here with a representative from one of the teams. Tell me, how has testing been for you? Well, we were very pleased with how things went. We started strongly, a few slow moments on the second day, of course. But overall, delighted with all the feedback. Really good to clock up some numbers and all the stats are pretty much in line with what we would have hoped to see. So, the car is going well? Oh, I don't know about the car. I just do our social media. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. She's Sarah. Hello. I'm Gareth, and he's slightly under the weather, aren't you, Richard? You're right, love. Yeah, I'm all right. Will you survive the length of this program? Mm, it's doubtful. Okay. Moment, but we'll see. We'll have a fast ambulance mm. standing by just in case we have to whip you off yeah. to that hospital on the Wirral where they're keeping everyone who's ill at the moment. You haven't got that, have you? Well, who knows? No, I don't think... <laughs> no, it's just a cold. Just have a cold. Okay, good. Phew. Because I bet that's sort of on everyone's mind, isn't it? How are you? Oh, I'm not very well. Oh! And step away. Yeah, don't give around. it to me. Yeah. Sarah, you're fitting well. I'm well, thank you. Good. Yeah. And have you been watching the F1 testing this week I or did, keeping I did, up with it? Yes, I have. I did catch a glimpse of it. I didn't watch every second, but I have a general gist of what's been going on. Yeah, it's been intriguing. Have you caught any of it? Have you got Sky at the moment, Richard? Have you got a subscription? We do have Sky, yeah, but I haven't been watching any of it. It passed me by. I was just looking on the internet and stuff. So yeah. I saw about the Mercedes. Dual axis reach rate steering. steering column adjuster. DAS. It's just so he get comfortable in the car. He can move his column yeah, forward and backwards. You know. That's what it's doing. You could get that on the Vauxhall Carlton years ago. It's made <laughs> just catching up. But apparently it also moves the front wheels. So, Yeah. They call it DAS, dual axis steering. It does two things. Apart from steering both wheels left or right, if you pull the column or push the column, it changes the toe-in. Now, normally F1 cars are set up with a little bit of toe-out, which I was surprised about, actually. I thought it'd be toe-in, but it's a bit of toe-out. And then when they get to a straight, if you pull the steering column back, it reduces that toe-out, so the two wheels are now absolutely parallel and apparently that gives you an advantage in terms of less scrub on the inside of the tyre there's a bit of an aerodynamic advantage and apparently and I'm not sure how this is achieved apparently in going from toe out to square on you get a minor but discernible ride height difference as well so it helps you aerodynamically in that way plus of course if you've got the tyre square on to the airflow you've got a more aerodynamically efficient shape. So there are proper aerodynamic advantages. Did you follow all this, Sarah? I I did read up on it. Apparently James Allen from Mercedes was jumping around the paddock quite tickled pink with himself. 
quite chuffed uh, that he James was Allison, to... isn't it? James Allison, wrong. James Allen was James that man Allen's with the other one. Sorry, voice. Used to commentate. You love him. I don't actually. Do you know what? His written stuff is. Good. I don't have an objection with that. I just don't want to hear him speak. But James Allison, you're right, would have been very excited. Because when you are the toppermost of the poppermost, as Mercedes are, they've got nowhere to go. We've said it before, you can only fail. So to come up with something that is experimental, that appears to be working, because Mercedes have been quick. Have you spotted the times, Richard, at all? They're miles ahead, aren't they? Yeah. And And they're traditionally not... I don't know whether they sandbag, but they certainly don't push it, do they, in testing? They just tend to sort of go for the reliability mm. factor. Uh, you just drank from my glass. Now, <laughs> I have the coronavirus, so now you're in trouble. I made the mistake. I thought that was my grapefruit-infused IPA, but it is, in fact, your Ribena, Richard, mm. and now I've got your illness. Sorry about that. Your beer this. is over there. My beer. I'll get the beer. The beer will cure it. No, trust me, I've tried that one. <laughs> I tried it on Friday night. didn't work. Well, I did read that Ferrari have been struggling this week but apparently they just want to get the car right this week but next week they're going to focus on actual performance we say this every year don't we we always get excited by testing but they're all running a program aren't they first of all in the first day the first week they're just making sure that they've got all the right bits in the right place in the car and it actually rolls Mm. it's seldom worth trying to work out who's got the edge. And we've been foxed in the past. Do you remember last year we said, mm. oh, yes, the Alfa Romeo is going to be the third quickest car? I think we said last year. Well, here's a uh, little fast fact. Ferrari set the fastest lap times in testing from 2016 to 19, but Mercedes won the drivers' and constructors' titles uh, all those years. No, it's pretty obvious. Stat, but yeah, you know. no, no, it's useful to um, a flashback at how we saw it. I think know. the winners of the week, though, I think were Williams because they actually got their car on the track this year. <laughs> so, last year, the car didn't even make the track, so I think they're quietly excited that they were able to achieve that. And I think their car was first out on track, no? I think maybe you're right, yeah. And the first team on the track. Well, yeah. it doesn't look half bad. Have you seen it, Richard, in the new colours? Yeah, yeah. It's all right, isn't it? It's, yeah, I like it's, their it's, yeah. livery, livery. 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 Livery, yeah. Yeah, livery. Do you care about Williams, Richard? We um, used to, didn't we? Yeah, I suppose I do, yes. They did quite well. To answer your question. Ago. No, I know. It's actually it's a bit sad, isn't it? It's sad when compared to, I don't know, Haas or someone where you just go, okay, you know, they're quite like their plucky outsider thing, but it's like they've never won a championship, so there's no sort of humiliation in them being shit. Whereas Williams, they're a championship winning team, and now they're not. Not even close. It's just, oh, I don't know, it's like a sort of loss of dignity from that. You feel sorry for them a little bit. Like, well, it's the massive to. loss of dignity. It's like you say, they've not just fallen off the top three. They have the slowest Formula One team. That includes newcomers like Haas and poorly funded teams like Racing Point. Mm. How can that be possible? Are they being held back by their heritage is the question. Is the fact that they've won so well in the past and haven't reinvented themselves like McLaren has. McLaren perhaps have realised what their flaws are. I don't know. I was puzzled as to how sort of a culture within a company can kind of go into a downward spiral because it happens in road car makers as well. I don't know whether it's like a change of management or it's just that people kind of lose their way or whatever. You just don't know, do you, until you work there. But you can just completely lose direction. Yeah. And I don't know whether also it's psychological. If you just suddenly get landed with a cack engine one season, it just everything just kind of follows in that wake where the engine's bad and then everyone just loses their enthusiasm and starts doing a worse job. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I wonder then if the question is when did it go wrong for Williams? Or was it when Renault pulled out of Formula One, whenever that was, and they had to use super tech engines which were 
Mechachrome built X Renault engines without the support, and they painted their car red. Mm. And that was like heresy, wasn't it, for Williams? It always been blue. And did they ever really recover from that? They had a period where they first went to Mercedes engines, and Pat, um, what's his name from what was Benetton, was their engineer for a while, where they produced a couple of cars over a couple of years that were really good. And that's how we noticed Valtteri Bottas was mm. so good. And he got picked out for Mercedes. But that defied the trend. The trend has been horrific, hasn't it? Poor Williams. Uh, yeah, but then did they have some bad years between... I'm trying to think now. They, were, they had some Cosworth years. I think they, didn't they? They were yeah. right up there, just under Red Bull, that four years ago. Well, yeah, that's right. That was the Pat... Not Pat Fry, what's his name? Pat, Pat Simmons. Pat, Pat Simmons, Simmons, thank you. That was the Pat Simmons, Pat Simmons years. Era, but also, uh, budgets probably had a bit to do with it as well. Yeah, budget isn't as big. They had sponsorship yeah. from Rexona and Martini. I suppose if you just lost a big sponsor and you're still a good team, then is that you suddenly you've got to stop spending so much money, and that's the start of a decline? I don't know, but then you do see teams that are quite well funded declining. I mean, McLaren. Well, yeah, Ferrari. Well, for, yeah, Ferrari. Have, yeah, they're really reasonable budgets, and they've had some iffy times, haven't they? And that it mm. took Ross Braun and Michael Schumacher sort of double act of. Yep. excellent and pull everyone up by their bootstraps a bit. well there was a great example of utter reinvention wasn't it they basically forgive me for saying basically but they essentially bought the Benetton team didn't they and imported all the skills from there to take care of what was Barnard's Ferrari up to then wasn't it John mm. Barnard had been designing cars and using even a British base and that wasn't working out they managed to reinvent themselves yeah Williams need to do that don't they an absolute forget everything you know, start from scratch sort of policy. Anyway, we've gone slightly off topic. Let's get back to the other end of the grid. Actually, to be fair, Williams perhaps aren't the... Well, we don't know yet. <laughs> Hopefully they're not the back of the grid team. Where were they? Well, actually, the other thing Time that happened in testing was the surprise team was Racing Point. They drew a lot of attention because apparently they've copied the Mercedes car and some of their technologies. Sergio Perez was second fastest on one of the days. Mm. Again, so, this is testing. Let's not read too much mm. into it. But you're right about copying. But more than copying, I believe Racing Point or Aston Martin, as they're going to be next year, have exploited every aspect of rules which allows them to use what they call non-listed parts. Is that right? So they've used as many things that they're allowed to use by buying in from Mercedes. I think their gearbox and their rear suspension and the engine now, I say engine, the power unit, including the energy recovery, all that is off-the-shelf Mercedes stuff, I believe, now, rather than trying to make it work of their own validation. So that is going to help. And if you look at the nose of the car, it's got that sort of Gary old tennis bat thing on the end of the tip of the nose that's exactly like last year's W10, was it, the Mercedes? So you're right, they're clearly showing influence. We wish them well. I want every team to do yeah. well. Well, <laughs> I want to shake a few things up. Yeah. The Mercedes, the thing that I'm most excited about, the, is it the W11? This idea, this revolutionary idea of being able to change the toe angle on the front wheels... For me, that's what innovation in Formula One is all about. You know, I've said this on the programme before. The year when Tyrrell came out with a six-wheel car, or Brabham put a fan on the back of the car, or who was it, Dan Gurney, who first put wings on cars. Those step changes to what we do with our cars, that's what makes F1 exciting from a technological, innovative 
point of view for me and I've said it before it's the only sport I'm really interested in is motorsports it's full of technology I like technology rather than sport however this is only going to be one season this DAS isn't it dual axis steering because as of next year it's banned what do you think of that gang well well, I don't know. I wonder how effective it is. They must presumably think it's worth it. But yeah, it's not quite an investment if they can't use it long term. But they could yeah, win. It feels like you could just sort of lock it off. So it's not like the six-wheel Tyrrell, for example, which is a sort of fundamental change in design philosophy, or for that matter, the fan car, which was so sort of I don't know. They sort of had to stop using that. But you know, this is almost like a little bit of trimming. It's an extra little garnish on top. It, it turned out it was illegal, which they were very ballsy about. You see, they were sort of going, "We're confident this is within the rules." and it seems like it is, they'll just make sure it's not within the rules next year. But if it had been found against the rules, well, they just sort of, I presume, the rest of the car works fine if they just stop that bit working. So it's more like it's a little bit of extra guys, just a little trick. But you're right, I do quite like it when they find loopholes like that. It shows how hard they're working. It is quite clever, actually. I saw General Ricardo get interviewed about it, and he said, you know, hats off to Mercedes. This is exactly why they are a top team, yeah. because they're constantly pushing the boundaries and coming up and, yeah, working really hard behind the scenes. You know what else they've done this year on their car? They've found a way of allowing the power unit, or I won't say engine, the power unit on that Mercedes to operate at higher temperatures than it did before. And the function of this is they can have smaller radiators. Smaller radiators, you have less aerodynamic drag. You've got a more efficient car. The detail work, they finally moved the position of their impact intrusion things at the side as well, which mm. has given them an even more sculptured car. They've taken nothing for granted, have they, that they had the best car, arguably the second best car last year. It was said that the Ferrari was better. But they've taken one of the top two cars and absolutely worked on it for the benefits of only one season that's commitment isn't it because next year's car you're starting from scratch aren't you it's an indicator of a team that really knows what it's doing with the basics they're not having to scratch their heads and go why doesn't the aero work properly like some of the other teams are why is the chassis not good at low speed corners it's all nailed down so if you're kind of absolved of having to worry about the basics you can start to think a little bit more laterally i suppose i don't know i don't know how i'm just assuming that i don't know how formula one teams work in that respect i'm sure a mercedes engineer listening to this would go it's not that simple mate Uh it's still really hard to make the car work properly but they do know what they're doing and and the cars this year aren't that different to last year's are they so in as much as the next year's there's no change at all the tires the same the spec of the cars the same but i think you've got a point there's that they must have a confidence that they've produced a consistently good car for so long now that they know that their wind tunnel and their seven point what's it rig dynamics rig gives them good data so whatever they get in theory they're actually delivering on the track and that allows them to do a bit of blue skies thinking and i'm going to make those quotation marks with my fingers you know they allow themselves to come up with slightly radical ideas slightly bonkers ideas but there are other benefits apparently with the DAS the dual axis steering by reducing the scrub on the tyres on the straights it reduces the temperature in the tyres and tyre uh, what's the what's the word not maintenance I'm thinking of tyre care taking mm. care of your tyres over the races one of the governing things in F1 at the moment and they're getting on top of that by 
altering this. So mm. the benefits on benefits, it reduces the heat soak that goes into the axle and the brakes and then everything else. But I was looking at some pictures of the kind of level of detail that F1 teams are going to in terms of keeping their wheels cool. Have you seen? They're hollowing out the spokes. Now, did you know that on the wheels? The wheels are the magnesium, they're hollow. That's beautiful. I didn't know they were doing that last year. Is that a new thing? I know Mercedes increased the surface area of their wheels by drilling holes in it and giving these sort of dimples. But now they're actually hollowing out the spokes as well. And that's fantastic. Weirdly, I was driving the Lexus ES. Have you seen that sort of medium-sized saloon car? Yes. Very quietly came out with last year, I think. Front-wheel drive. Yeah. Yeah. And with one of the things they, again, I was going to say boast about, that makes it sound like they're making noise. It's not. It's one of the most sort of understated cars. But if you read the bump, there's a bit about how they reduced road noise by making the alloy wheels hollow, which is uncommon in road cars. But the part of the way that it reduces noise is because it turns the road noise into heat through these resonator holes. Now, I'm not sure how that works. Wow. It, it can feels only... like that's the opposite of what F1 are trying to do because they don't care about noise. They just right. want less heat, don't they? So... Turn it into heat. Well, I'm I'm only that. vibration, which is the essence of noise, will generate heat. So if it's heating the air and using the hollow spokes to channel that heat away... It's going to generate more noise because it's now a hollow resonating chamber. I think they're selling as nonsense. <laughs> well, I, I buy the idea that, that you could turn one energy into another energy that you don't mind having. But yeah. I don't know how they do it. It was a very quiet car, I'll tell you that. Yeah, they're famously quiet. Very quiet car, so maybe there's something in it. Yeah, it's the only car I've driven that I'm aware of where if you have the wipers on and you stop and it detects the passenger door is opened, it stops the wipers so the person getting out doesn't get splashed. Nice idea. It's really thoughtful, isn't it? (laughs) I like the detail. I remember interviewing one of Toyota's head engineers and he was telling me about how on the Yaris Hybrid, in order to keep the weight down, because it's such a little car, they were now using aluminium rotor wire instead of copper on the electric elements of the motor. And something in the battery as well was using aluminium. I mean, they were only making tiny gains, but this was really important to them, you know. Does aluminium conduct? Yeah, well, they've got it in a Lexus electric motor or a a Toyota electric motor, so, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, It's a metal. It'll conduct probably not as efficiently as copper. It's not as well, though. Yeah, yeah. So they have to use twice as much. Oh, it's heavier than it was in the first place. Who knows? Um, F1, they're putting holes in the wheels... Something beeping. Yes, it's the dryer. My children's underpants for tomorrow are being dried. And the rest of their clothes. My head was beeping. Yeah, Yeah, they're putting holes in the wheel to dissipate heat. That's the the gist of it. If you increase the surface area by drilling holes and giving it dimples, then that surface area will cool in the wind more quickly. And if you've got holes in it, channels in it, you can use... Because, you know, if you've got a... Sounds like how now, but if you've got a straw and you blow over the open end of a straw... Whilst dipping the other end in the water, it will suck up the water because you create an area of low pressure uh, and spray it. That's the, basically the principle on which a Humboldt spray gun works. Mm. And that's what they're doing. They're using these sort of pipes. And if wind blows across the top of the pipe, it draws the hot air out from uh, where it's hot. Right. Yeah. 
Okay. So I knew Howe would be useful. You don't know what Howe is, Sarah, do you? Not a clue. You weren't here for that. It was a kids' tally show I did for oh, a long time. I kids' see. science show. And I good. thought you were looking a bit, what's he talking yeah, about? Yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> okay, other stuff in F1 very briefly that we're interested or exciting about. There is a new team. No, there isn't. There's an old team with a new name. How do we say it? Talking about how. Now, is he Alpha Tauri or is it Alpha Tauri? What would you say, Richard? Um, I would probably say Alpha Tauri because it looks like it's Taurus, but mm-hmm. as in bull. Mm-hmm. Which is what Star I mean. sign, Taurus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say Alpha Tauri, but I did see Pierre Gasly be interviewed during the week and they asked him how do you pronounce it and he just said it would just depend on your accent. So I'm Australian. The way I pronounce my vowels <laughs> might be Alpha Tauri, but he might say something a bit more fancy. Who knows? Alpha Tauri. Alpha Tauri. They are Italian. Alpha Tauri. But it doesn't matter. Are they Scuderia as well? Scuderia Alpha Tauri. I think they are because yeah, they were Alpha. Scuderia Toro Rosso STR, weren't they? That's why the car was the STR, so, whatever yeah, it was. So that might be are the they... Italian way of pronouncing it. Yeah. They've done this... <laughs> Why? To promote a clothing brand. Apparently, oh. Red Bull, who have diversified into all sorts of things apart from just liquid that tastes like medicine, they have a clothing brand now called Alpha Tauri, Alpha Tauri. Because if you think about it, Toro Rosso meant nothing. Mm. It was just a passable translation of Red Bull into a Latinate language. So they missed out. They weren't promoting Red Bull anymore because it's not called... Toro Rosso in Italy, it's called Red Bull all over the world. Mm. So they missed out on an opportunity. And now to give it an Italian identity, Alfa Tauri, sounds like Alfa Romeo as well. You know, it, mm. it, 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 it's but kind then, of a good name. But that is unfortunate, isn't it? Because that means it then sounds like another team on the grid. Well, That's the downside. Explain to me the Italian connection of Alfa Tauri, because Red Bull is not an Italian it isn't, but what was the Toro Rosso team were Minardi, who were an Italian team, right, you see. There you go. Yeah, Very based good. in Italy. They're based in, it's not Modena, where's um, no, Faenza, isn't it? That's the Toro Rosso headquarters, Faenza. So I'm not sure where that is in Italy, but certainly in Italy. I was just looking at their clothes. Oh, it's so oh, the logo of the clothes is exactly like the car. Like it's got the Red Bull sort of charging bull. Yeah. Built into it. Discover innovative spring jackets. All right. Oh, I love an innovative jacket, don't you? Yes, I'm so fed up with my clothes not being innovative. Over your legs. Oh, crikey. Quite expensive. Yeah, it's up market stuff. 530 quid for a big coat. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's close. I'm surprised. Well, so you're not going to be bothering with any of that then, I don't Richard. know. I mean, it looks all right, but I wouldn't... It's weird, isn't it? Oh, they, oh look at this. Torex. What's Torex? That's a fabric that's they've invented, they've probably. Invented, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. It's just a lot of expensive coats again. It's probably... I probably uh, wouldn't pay 400 quid for that coat, but anyway. Well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? I wonder if that'll work. Because the problem is, it's like it's all well and good going, well, we're advertising it on our Formula 1 team, but these people go, sorry, what is that? Mm-hmm. Well, they've got to make the point that it is a clothing. I didn't know. Well, that's the brand. purpose. That's the purpose of Formula One is not to advertise brands that you know about, but to bring new brands or brands that are known in one territory to the world. That's the whole function. It's what you can mm-hmm. do with an international sport that you can't do with a national sport. I mean, we didn't know what map free was until two years yeah. ago. And of course, everyone's drinking rich energy these days, aren't they? So. <laughs> Great news, Claire. We have two potential title sponsors for Williams this season. Two? Well, that's fantastic. Who are they? Well, um, the first is COVID-19. 
I'm sorry, what? The coronavirus. I don't understand. It seems that the virus has mutated to such an extent now that it has its own marketing department. Their offer really was quite generous. But it's a potentially lethal condition. It's bringing the world to its knees. Yeah, there is that. I mean, we'd look like desperate idiots aligning our team with something like that. Yeah, I fear so. So, who's the other offer from? Uh, well, um, it's rich energy. Call the virus back. Say it's a yes. How would you like to join the Gareth Jones on Speed team at the 2020 Le Mans 24 Hours? This year, we'll be at the race and staying at the Team Langoustine campsite. It's located at the heart of the circuit, at Tetre Rouge, a secure, gated site with everything you'll need. Clean toilets, hot showers, hot food, a bar and friendly staff. Why not join us there and perhaps even spend some quality time with us before and after the race at the campsite and maybe even appear on one of the episodes of On Speed recorded over the weekend. Packages start from as little as £235. For more information, go to garethjones.tv forward slash Le Mans. Go on, come and enjoy the greatest race in the world at a truly terrific campsite. Places are limited, so book now at garethjones.tv forward slash Le Mans. At the precise moment we're recording this episode of Gareth Jones on speed, there's a race on in the Circuit of America, part of the WEC, World Endurance Championship, and I watched the start. I was very pleased to see the Rebellion team tear away with their single car from the two only other two cars in LMP1 category, the Toyota TS-050s. And it made me consider the future of endurance racing. And I'm not sure it's as happy as we've been told it is recently. Sarah, you've got the press release there about the recent changes to the regulations to allow the what do we call it? The LM- LMDH class. It will allow cars from the IMSA Sports Car Championship, which is the American Championship, to race in the World Endurance Championship, the WEC Championship. So it's the first step towards common rules across both series, which means it might become a huge global World Series. Not like the <laughs> Baseball World Series, which actually is not <laughs> an actual World Series. That's just in America. The world uh, according to America in baseball. Well, <laughs> true fact, the World Series in baseball is called the World Series because when it was started or early in its life, it was sponsored by the World Newspaper. Oh, newspaper is that right? Nice. That is so and interesting. They just kept the name in the same way that, you know, I don't know. People can't help calling it the Brit Awards, which I think was the Britannia Music Club, wasn't it? Or it was the BPI Awards, really? British That's Phonographic right. Institute, yeah. and they rebranded so, Brit. Yeah, the World yeah. Series is because there was a newspaper called The World. They used to sponsor it. And really? then when they were, the newspaper was long gone, but they just kept the name. And people always go, oh, American's stupid. It is that the ongoing joke that the world series, according yeah. to America is yeah. Yeah, yeah. America is the actual world. I'm actually going to rename this show the world's most popular podcast, Gareth Jones on Speed. That's actually the name of the podcast. 
podcast. That means people will think it's the world's most popular podcast. <laughs> it's worked for America. It worked for us. I'm reminded of a sketch where a bloke goes into a dry cleaners and says, what are dry cleaners? Yes, sir. Okay, I'll put my trousers in. I'll pick them up, what, at uh, two o'clock? No, no, sir, they'll be ready tomorrow. But it says one hour dry cleaners. No, no, sir, that's just the name of the shop. We clean in 24 hours. It's just the shop, it's called that. It's a bit like that, isn't it? Anyway, sorry, we've gone off topic. The WEC, the World Endurance Championship, incorporating IMSA. We thought it was going to be all very happy and exciting because the hypercars, or if you're French, hypercar class was announced a year or so ago. And it appeared that we were going to get some really exotic machinery right at the front of the grid. Fantastic. And then there would be LMP2 and there would be the GT classes. However, since they announced the LMDH class, which is Le Mans Daytona prototype with a hybrid class, it's become a threat to hypercar because what they're trying to do, as I understand it, is create a class of car that will compete against the hypercars in the same combined class. Mm. So you won't have LMP1 and LMP2 anymore at Le Mans. You'll have one class. It's two types of cars competing directly against each other. And I wonder how that's going to work out because there'll still be, oh, well, we won the hypercars and we won the LMDH. People will always separate it. But as far as I understand, the LMDH is what they call the Daytona Prototype 2.0. So it's a stock chassis rather like the LMP2 chassis, which will be built by four manufacturers who are Ligier, Delara, Multimatic, and Orica, right? So you buy your chassis and you also get a stock hybrid system which works on the rear axle, but you can put your own engine in it and you can style the bodywork to look like your car. Now, this is working very successfully in IMSA at the moment. For instance, Mazda. Have you seen the Mazda Daytona prototype, Richard? Mm, yeah. It's pretty, and it yeah. looks like a Mazda. It's got some Mazda qualities, and it's run by the Yoast team, mm. who used to run the Audis very successfully at Le Mans. And they're taking on Cadillac, which is, again, the same chassis with some styling that looks like Cadillac, and a Cadillac engine. So it's enabling manufacturers to join in a international sports car championship at almost the highest level relatively cheaply. But there are those who won't do this, namely Ferrari and McLaren. And one of the ideas of the hypercar class was to attract McLaren and Ferrari into making cars that would compete at Le Mans to make Le Mans even more attractive. Now, Ferrari said, yes, we would compete in the Daytona LMDH class if we can build our own chassis. Well, no, that's not the idea. You've got to use a stock chassis. Well, we won't compete then. We won't put a Ferrari engine in someone else's chassis because we are Ferrari. And McLaren, who made a lot of noise about, yeah, yeah, we want hypercars. We want a car that looks like things that we can sell and we'll join. And then they announce the hypercar rules and McLaren go, nah. Sorry, no. We're going to go and badger Delara and race at IndyCar instead. Mm. And Aston Martin, this is the big gut punch to the belly, who Aston Martin this last week announced that they're putting their hypercar programme, they say they're postponing it, putting it on ice. Now, putting 3 and 12 together, I figured it was because Aston Martin are now going into Formula 1, but not so, apparently. It's because of the introduction of the LMDH 
class. Because Aston Martin apparently were counting on racing a few of their own Aston Martin Valkyries at Le Mans, but then selling these chassis, because they're, what, two and a half million each, mm. to other people to compete with. Now, these other people are going, I'm not spending two and a half million on a Aston Martin chassis when I can buy an off-the-shelf LMDH chassis and compete against you on equal terms. So they've absolutely knackered it themselves. This whole deal that IMSA were trying to put together with WEC to introduce more brands and more cars has absolutely scuppered hypercar. They've What's the motion equivalent of shooting yourself in the foot? They've run over their own mechanic's toes. Yeah, a devil's advocate. Yeah. By combining with the North American series expanding their audience if it works it'll make it a much more tempting prospect for mclaren aston martin people like that to come in because they'll be reaching a bigger audience if it works yeah so they might not have shot themselves in the foot also don't buy that about aston martin the reason aston martin are raining it all in is because they're financially screwed that's yeah. why yeah and lance yeah. Uh, what's his name lawrence stroll can't keep bailing them out so yeah I well think- it was david king who is aston martin racing president who very deliberately made the announcement this last week that, no, 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 nothing to do with financial worries of the car company, nothing to do with Mm -hmm. Formula One, it's all to do with we can't afford to go racing because we can't sell the chassis. That's the same thing, isn't it? It's a spin. They they can't, yeah, I'm sure it's a little from column A and a little from column B, but, you know, they reportedly how squeaky it got before Lawrence Stroll wrote the first of the large checks to them, you know. How squeaky do you know? You seem like you're hinting on something that you know, know about. No, I don't know anything for a fact. But if you sign a deal with someone and then you've got to ask them for an extra, what was it, like 50 million quid or something, as a bit of an advance, you're probably quite close to that point where you can't pay people's wages, aren't you? So yeah. I, I would guess, that's pure guesswork, but it doesn't look good, does it, from a distance? One of the chaps I know who worked at Aston Martin's PR department doesn't seem to be there anymore. He's working elsewhere. I wonder if they're making savings. Aston Martin. I know who you mean. Yeah. I don't know why that happened. Yeah. Who knows? I'm just guessing, trying to read between the lines here. I've got here, the earliest it's likely to happen... The, the, the earliest I, what's likely to happen? Well, the, the earliest that it's likely to happen to have one set of rules for both series is going to be 2025. Oh, really? After, I thought it was nearer than that. After the initial five-year commitment to the LM hypercar class that kicks off this September yeah. at the beginning of 2021 yeah. wet campaign. Well, it kicks off officially this September. See, Le Mans is the final race in the 20. 2019-2020 calendar, then the 2020-21 calendar is the start of the new category with hypercars. And apparently, at the moment, the only manufacturer officially is Toyota, who said they fudged it, didn't they? They made an announcement recently saying, mm, we're reevaluating." Then they came out and said recently, no, we're definitely going to carry on. We're too far down the line. We've invested in this GR Super Sport, is that what it's called? Their car, this road-going car that was going to race in the hypercar class. But who are they going to race against? At the moment, it's not Aston Martin, unless Aston Martin changed their mind radically in the next three months. I can't see that happening. It's not going to be Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus, who say that they're going to be in hypercars, but not for two years. It's going to be against Bicollis. Now... By Collis. Okay, I admire the fact that they've managed to keep going in LMP1 for I don't know how many years. But if I'm being blunt, they are a shit team 
with a pathetic car that barely finishes most of the races against Toyota, who've won Le Mans twice now. It's not a fair match, is it? So, what are they going to do? I reckon they're going to grandfather LMP1 cars, where they will find a way of using balance of technology, balance of performance, to keep the existing non-hybrid LMP1 cars in the race. Now, that doesn't mean rebellion, because rebellion announced that they're leaving motorsport altogether after Le Mans. I'm going to sit down. That's heartbreaking. Why are they doing that? Are they opening a patisserie or something? (laughs) It's a good question. Why are they doing that? Well, someone made a good point to me. They wrote to me on Twitter and said, I'm not surprised Rebellion are doing that because I've no idea what it is they're actually about. And it's their watches. Rebellion make watches. Big, fantastic Swiss watches. But most people don't know that. They're just a team. What was the speedy team Seba? An amalgamation of two teams, a British team and a Swiss team, who came under the Rebellion brand and raced fantastically with Lola chassis and Orica chassis. They competed against the big guys and now they're just walking away. And it's a shame because they're the most successful independent team in LMP1, non-manufacturer team. And Le Mans worked, or the ACO worked really hard over the last few years to keep other teams in LMP1 when Porsche Mm. and Audi and Nissan all left. Heartbreaking. I'm devastated because I was looking forward to seeing that Valkyrie race against the GR Supersports and Mm. this alleged Peugeot Rebellion Alliance. But apparently, Peugeot getting together with Ligier, but still two years away. So maybe Hypercars is coming, but I'm concerned that it's just going to get ridden over and they'll all be these LMDH. I've really gone into one here, haven't I? I've been ranting for yeah. five minutes. I'm sorry. It's a but... very passionate topic here. Yeah, it truly is. Because I go there every year. I'm, I feel invested and involved in it. And I love the Rebellion team have been good to us as a programme in the past. Do you have, do you have a past. highlight of their... Rebellion? Yeah. Tell me about a highlight. They came third, was it, two years ago? They won in the non-hybrid LMP1 class back in 2014, I think. Noljani, who I used to know in A1GP, made his name with that team. All their cars have looked great. People I know have worked for that team. So just having access to their garage was a highlight for me. I feel personally involved. And also celebrating with them. When was that? Three, four years ago? We were with them. We were partying with them in the paddock. We made a little film about it with Damien Sung for the show. That was hilarious. And we had Nelson Piquet Jr. driving for them. It was lovely getting smashed with them. That was my personal highlight. And I'm sad. He's got smashed. Oh, hey now! (laughs) So there we go. That's me sad about the future of Le Mans. It's not as healthy as I was hoping it was going to be. However, Aston Martin said they're going to carry on in GTE, the two GT categories. Mm, Yeah. So there's hope down there because we like that. Yeah. I mean, what's to stop them if they're really desperate to get these car makers in? It won't use a generic or off the shelf chassis. Just go, okay, fine. Knock yourself out. Well, duplicate all the effort. Aston Martin have done this before. Do you remember a few years ago you were there when they raced in the LMP1 category? Oh, that absolutely bog-awful thing with a straight six. Before they did that, they ran a Lola with an Aston Martin engine and rebadged it Aston Martin, much to the chagrin of Lola. They've got history doing that. Mm. I remember when Dave Richards made the announcement at Le Mans after the race, next year will be an LMP1. Everyone went, (gasps) 
what? And they turned up with this Lola rebadged Aston Martin with mm. a big V12 Aston Martin engine in the back, and it was great. So they've got history having done that before. So my prediction is that, yeah, hypercar is gone as far as Aston Martin is concerned. We may get two years of something like hypercar before everyone says, oh, bollocks to this, I'm just going to run these stock chassis at the moment. It's mm. cheaper. But you know what I blame for all this? It's not the ACO. It's not IMSA with their unity. It's Formula E. Because look at all the manufacturers who have left the WEC or Le Mans recently. Nissan, Porsche, Audi. Where are they? Formula E. There's only so much money they can go around. They had to be in Formula E because that is, doing inverted commas with my fingers, the future. Well, And it's, it's cost endurance racing. I'm it's furious. It's almost as if motor racing is all just about marketing. Shh. Except actually it's not because I just had a software update on my Jag I-Pace and as a direct result of not Formula E itself, although supposedly learned some stuff from that, but from the comedically slow support race with I-Pace racing car, they've realised they can use a little bit more of the battery. You get more range so then? got more range. Fantastic. And, and How much more? Do you know? I don't know if there's a actual percentage on it. They are using, you know, those batteries always have a top and a tail that they don't use yeah. to protect the life of the yeah. battery. Yeah. They've realised they can eat into a bit more of that and cool. it won't damage the batteries because the racing cars do it under extreme stress. Cool. So it's, I think, it's another sort of like 7% capacity or something like that. That's handy when you've got a range of, what, 200 miles in your car thereabouts? So 7%, no, sort of another 14 miles. It's constantly showing over 250 now when you charge it up. Right. And it wasn't doing that before. So you've got another 20 miles or so. Fantastic. Something like that, yeah. Fantastic. More if you put it in eco mode as well because they've recalibrated that so it doesn't use both motors so much in eco mode. Yeah. Okay. Come, it's a lot of that's come from the race programme. Take so. it back. I don't hate it, so. Formula E anymore. I don't hate Formula E. I honestly don't. I'm just saying that there's not enough money to go around for Formula E, WEC and F1. That's all I'm saying. Hey, listen, can we talk about something else equally sad? And I know both of you will be a bit sad about this. Sarah, because you're Australian, and Richard, because you've driven one of these people's cars for... How long did you have that Monaro for? Was it a year? No, it was VXR8. It was... I, no, no, how long? For about eight months. Eight maybe. months. Yeah. I'm talking about the demise of Australia's last native car brand, Holden. Sarah, did you remember hearing about this? Did it make oh, you yes. sad? It, yeah, it was on the front pages of the Australian newspapers. It's big news in Australia. In fact, Scott Morrison... Prime Minister was particularly upset as well. So obviously it's a lot of people will lose their jobs mm. um, to start with. You know, it is an iconic Australian car brand. It started in 1948 and then Rust in Peace was the headline on the front page of the Daily oh. Telegraph. So, yes, 1948 to 2020. The brand Holden may have started in 1948, but as I recall reading... Mr. Holden emigrated to Australia in 1850-something from Walsall in the West mm. Midlands. Noddy Holder from Slade comes from Walsall. So I'm just wondering if it's the same family, Holden and Holder. All right, Noddy Holden, he should be called. And initially they were a saddler, weren't they, in Australia, yeah. who became body makers or carriage makers. And they were a company called the Holden Body... HBB, I think they're called it HHB or something. They made bodies for other cars. And incredibly, and I didn't realise this until recently, Holden actually built cars for Ford. 
in Australia before GM bought them. Isn't yeah. that shocking? Because they're great rivals, aren't they? Rebody other people's chassis. It's funny because they're a bit of like an artificial car company as much as GM just went, let's make them Australia's home car. But it was a job that they embraced with aplomb. And the very first Holden from the late 40s was, in fact, a rejected Chevrolet design that they just sort of sent down to Australia. So Is that right? Yes, yeah, so they didn't have a sort of totally independent or glamorous start, but I was doing some reading up about those old Holden Commodores, which, you know, then led to Hello, the VXR8 Vauxhall that I had, which was really an HSV. <coughs> yeah, it's a Commodore. But, yeah. And up until the one that I had, the... Was, was it actually based on what was the old Amiga chassis? No, they used to be. The one I had wasn't. Okay. So the Commodore starts in the 70s, and they were. They were they, well, this is the thing. There's some good stories relating to these cars, and it's why you realise that Holden were, although they were forced to use a lot of parts from elsewhere, they were very much a company in their own right because the unique demands of, of Australia. having a car in Australia yeah. if you want to drive out into the outback, particularly before everyone you know had SUVs and sort of washboard roads... And when they said we were going to do a new saloon car in the 70s, and GM said, yeah, you can use these bits from Opel in Germany. We'll send over a prototype. And they took it to Holden's test track, Lang Lang. And it lasted 1,500 kilometres before it was written off. Uh And the Germans refused to believe that Uh this was possible. And they asked for all the data readings from the stress gauges and stuff. And they were 300% higher than anything they'd seen in Germany. So they went, right, we're on the plane, we're coming over. You're using the equipment wrong. I'm going to find out what's going on here. We're bringing another prototype. And they brought another prototype. They went out to the outback, did some real-world testing in the outback. It split at the firewall. The car split in half. Wow. And then the Germans went, aha, I think we see the problem here. And they were authorised to beef up the shell. So the Commodore that came out, it looked a lot like an Opel, but underneath it was a lot beefier because it had to be because... Australia demands it. And that just went on. They also used the Opel interior, but it was made from different plastics because Holden themselves developed a different plastic compound that wouldn't go all gooey and stink in the hot sunshine Yeah, because they'd never considered that that would be a thing when they're engineering it in Germany. What is it your summer. people do to cars, Sarah? It's unbelievable. What? But the oh, problem is yeah, now everyone yeah. has SUVs and it's kind of like, well, they're a little bit stronger and I guess maybe the roads in Australia have got a bit better. I mean, I know the Outback's still a big and brutal place, but yeah. there's less need for a saloon car to behave you know, in that way that it can be strong enough to take the Outback. So, Have you ever done a massive road trip in Australia, Sarah, into the Outback? Do you do that sort into of thing? Into the Outback? I have been into parts of the Outback. I've been to Broken Hill, where David Bowie recorded, you know that, and he was in the, the, the video for um, um, Let's Dance. Let's Dance, yeah, Let's in that dance. pub, yeah, yeah, we, yeah they did yeah. for real. Yeah, I've, yeah. Seen, oh, I've actually been in that pub. Oh. I was there for a job, actually, so I've been to that part of the outback. But I really, to be honest, I've not had much of an opportunity to get into the. You're a Melbourne girl, aren't you? Sydney, Sydney. Oh, I'm sorry. I've driven up and down the uh, east coast and things like that, but I'm not, you know. A road tripper into the outback where I see the rough and ready. Although, actually, there's up near Byron Bay and all around that area. I've driven all around there. And sort of as you come into the highlands, there are some rough roads. So there you go. But you're not going to be doing it in a Holden anymore. Did your dad or mum ever have a Holden growing up? You know what? We never did. But there's a lot of families that only bought Holdens. Yeah. They were sold on Holdens. And actually... There's going to be a lot of people now that vintage Holdens are now all of a sudden probably going to increase in value, I would say. Indeed, Um, yeah, because of their scarcity. I'm just reading here about a woman that's so obsessed with her Holden that she's told her family that they can take her to the cemetery in her Holden. Oh. She wants to be Holden to die by the Holden. Oh, bless her. Um, I was going to say one last great Very sad. Because that's the thing, they had one last hurrah where finally Opal stopped making the Omega, nothing for them to base Commodore on. Yep. GM finally gave them permission, about a billion dollars budget, to do a bespoke car on their own. 
And that's the thing. And that was what became, you know, over here we had it as a Vauxhall VXR8. And there was something, it was a unique feeling car, nothing else felt like it. And it felt in a way sort of a product of its homeland because it was kind of beefy and sturdy and a bit crude, but really great. And one thing I found out just reading up about Holden this week, because I was writing a column about them and saying how sad it was that they've gone and Australia's lost something. I think that that generation of Commodore, those later ones, that is the only large saloon car in the world that as part of its development testing was repeatedly driven into a crash test dummy of a kangaroo. Is that right? A kangaroo? In the same way that Volvo and Saab used to do this testing with elks. Because if you hit an elk, you're in trouble. Well, you know, you hit a kangaroo, they're big buggers and they weigh a lot. And it's something that Australians have to... In Wales? No word of a lie, I have hit a kangaroo on the road. Of course you have. It was awful. Did they they ride your car off? No, I was driving a little Holden Barina, actually. A barina, um, yeah, a barina. which was the, that's the Astra, isn't it? The barina, uh, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry to answer your question before. In fact, someone in my family has owned a Holden, that would be me. And it was years ago in my early driving days. <laughs> I was driving down the Wakehurst Parkway. So if anyone's been to the northern beaches in Australia, this Wakehurst Parkway, it's like bushland, huge on both sides. And it's sort of the main road as you go from the city into the northern beaches. And it was late at night and I was with one of my really good friends. And I just remember driving along, going, you know, at pace. It would have been about 80, 90 kilometres an hour because that was the speed limit. And then all of a sudden out from nowhere, I've just seen this big kangaroo bop along like with his paws out. But in no notice, he literally must have just jumped in front of my car. And it was awful this experience because we actually drove over it and the whole car just went go-go-go-go-go like this. Oh, no. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. I just... <laughs> the rest of the highway me and my friend just scooby-doo screamed for about five minutes <laughs> just the shock of it and then, yeah then we caught up with our friends we, we i think we were arriving at a party or something and my other friends like didn't you call wildlife <laughs> yeah. anyway it was horrific and i really hope that there wasn't a kangaroo lying on the side well, of the road one of the reasons you have rubars on yeah, cars over like, there like, and a holden barina just like wipe the front off your car yeah it? Or, was, no, or was it just a glancing <laughs> blow it's a pretty robust holden <laughs> I, I, I could have got a dent I'm not sure but really and it was not a small kangaroo it was a decent sized kangaroo <laughs> you poor thing I'm glad you're still here I'm still I'm yeah. still here but unfortunately I'm not sure that the kangaroo is the story of the demise of Holden I think could be linked to a couple of things. First of all, in the last few years, the car that is called the Commodore, the Holden Commodore in Australia, instead of being based on what was the Omega chassis, the European Opel Vauxhall Omega chassis, was actually the Vauxhall Insignia. So it went from being a big, large five-seater rear-wheel drive thing to being a medium-sized front-wheel drive thing, which just didn't suit the whole Commodore ethos, if you like. No wonder people moved away yeah, from so it. it they were, it's a bit of a rock and a hard place, because yeah. that kind of big rear-wheel drive traditional car has got a fan base, yeah. but they won't go near... No, a front-wheel drive thing. The insignia. Yeah. But then the people who might have, they hoped, would go, oh, I see, it's more fuel-efficient and it's smaller... They don't want to drive a Commodore, because the Commodore sounds like, you know, I think, as far as I can gather from talking to Aussies about it, it's like Commodore is a guy in a vest drinking VB or something like that and, yeah. and you know, watching the Bathurst race. and It's a bit old school. Yeah. It's a bit... We've moved on, perhaps. Bogan, is that a... Bogan, that's yeah, the word, yes. It's a bit... Is that really rude to say? I can never tell Bogan? Bogan. What's that mean? 
It's a bit like calling someone a geezer. Oh, right, a bogan. But a bogan is, you know... So, sorry, Australian yeah. rules football shirt. It could sort be anything, you know, shirt. varying, either someone that has a few knocked out teeth or yeah. they might have what they call a wife beater, you know, singlet, you know, yeah, yeah. tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, sleeveless AFL top, very tight. Could yeah. be the mullet. They could it's have a, a bit of redneck, isn't it? Yeah. Like quite an American red, a, bit, yeah. Yeah. a bit of redneck, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, a bogan. No wonder they someone won't drive a front-drive European car. As a bogan, traditionally not a suit-wearing... And the other thing I reckon, which has probably affected it, is the sale of GM Europe, Vauxhall and Opel, to PSA. Because the chassis of at least two, or in fact three, Holdens, the Trax, which is the, uh, what do we call the Trax over here? That's sort of... um, It's a mocker, is it? It's a mocker, yeah. Yeah, And the Astra, and what was the Commodore, which was based on the Insignia, now unavailable to them. Those are GM's IP. Yeah. It's more that PSA are trying to get the hell out of those platforms as quickly as they can. Yeah. You know, it's like the new course at a very late in the program. They pivoted it's to based on the Peugeot 208. And I think the Astras will be next to their shifting as quickly as they can. They've, I mean, they've done it pretty quickly already to yeah. get as many cars in line with the box of bits that they brought along. So, yeah, the GM could have hauled it in and kept their IP and started making it somewhere else. But it's all just hassle, isn't it, for a relatively yeah, small yeah. car market? Yeah, it's not a big market, is it? There's just not enough people there buying enough cars to justify. I think it's amazing that for 50 odd years that Australia had essentially sort of bespoke cars yeah pretty amazing really because you didn't get you know like Ford Falcons and things like that and those holding Commodores that, you know you see, sort of, so you don't see sell anywhere else things, but yeah they don't yeah. really sell anywhere else yeah and so there was almost like a quirk of the motor industry ecosystem that this could happen for so long it was mm. almost like Australia's wildlife you know it's like there's nowhere else has koala bears beat me to it nowhere else has massive wheel drive saloons like that and it's sort of mm. hopefully yeah. the koalas are okay after the fires and things like that I don't want the koalas to die out but it was almost inevitable that the big saloons would die out because it just can't sustain them Holden, an example of sustainability, gone. That's it. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on speech. She was Sarah. Goodbye. And goodbye to Holden. We wish. We miss her. Genuinely, genuinely, I'm not as emotionally connected to it as you are, but even I felt a pang when it was announced Holden were going. I'm sorry for your people and your proud heritage. Uh, Goodbye from Richard. Goodbye. And not quite goodbye from me because we're going to leave you with a tune. And as this is the episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, closest to St. David's Day, as befits the tradition here on Gareth Jones on Speed, here's a song with a Welsh theme. This one in the style of Goldie looking chain. Dear Gwil Dewi Da, happy St. David's Day. See ya. It's a sport for me If I had the cash I'd be at a Grand Prix They got gourmet burgers Cooked in Greece And a Newport favourite Chips and cheese I got the perfect cream Where I only paid a fiver It's a scuba suit Bought from a deep sea diver So when it chips you down In silver zone I'll be a survivor All we need now Is a Welsh F1 driver A driver A driver A Welsh F1 driver Alright But I need a Welsh F1 driver We need a boy in the car Who comes from Wales Not a Cardiff lad, though he'd probably bust the scales He'd have a lovely helmet, shiny and red And be hornier than James Odds Welsh Sea Great in bed We wouldn't just sing the anthem at, at the, the end, end If our driver scored an ace We'd drive you around the bench Singing hey, man, man, had I to a red in the face It's all about winning like the chair in the Estadvod Sitting in first place All through the race, we are Welsh, we'd be singing All through the race Saxons couldn't 
couch is down. No party joy. 50,000 English versus 50 Welsh boys crying. Monty's Monty's dangerous. It says so on my ticket, but it's safer here than the slips at Lord's on the bloody wicket. Yes, your balls are hard when you come from Splot, but it's a lethal game, cricket. Mind you, it's only half the price of a Silverstone F1 ticket. I've got no fear about carbon fibres hitting me in the head. Cause I've been in a scrum in Pontypool and took a Swansea girl to bed. I'm telling you, this sport's safe for spectators. I know it's true. F1 cars don't kill people. Crashes do. We've had a Welshman in F1 before. He was an Australian fella. But the lad we got in mind with times like Senna, Manny Stella. He's led a life of crime. And he raps about crime from a small South Wales favela. Not Brazil or the Caribbean do, man, that would be insane. He was brought up in Kylie in a town with car in the name. But if a Welsh lad wins, you wouldn't see me hug him. I'd give him round the ear like I was his freaking mother. Then I'd dump him hard, even if he was my brother. I'm from South Wales, see, I'm a fighter, not a lover. I can't explain why he's so quick, he's fat, not athletic. But his speed is killy, unsurpassed, perhaps it is genetic. His dad drove a white man, not quite a genius. His mum is a musician, yes, his mother is a penis. He hasn't got a racing license. I don't want either, but bloody hell he's quick, but he drives for a river. Time flies by when you're the driver of a train, but put some bars in the pit, lady, he'll be quick in the rain. Time flies by when you're the driver of a train, but put a butt in the pit, lady, you'll be quick in the rain. Time flies by when you're the driver of a train, but put a butt in the pit, lady, you'll be quick in the rain. Alright, I heard you the first time, innit? You knows it. It's true, innit? I knew it's a bit wet to go out in Newport. I know, should we stay in? You don't want to go out there on a winter's night like this. What do you mean night? It's two o'clock in the afternoon and it's June. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. All we need now is a Welsh F1 driver. A driver, a driver, a Welsh F1 driver. All right, but we need a Welsh F1 driver. Gareth Jones on Speed!